0: Hi, welcome to Bible on the Beach. Now today we're going to be in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 24. Now I want to remind you that Bible on the Beach is so that disciples can make disciples and so that churches can plant churches, so that as many people as possible can be in God's family. So today we want to hear from God about what he has to say into our life right now, at this moment, in this time. So let's open it up. Acts chapter 1. It says that Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participate in his execution. From that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. All the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained behind in Jerusalem. Now, we don't like persecution. We like it when everyone agrees with what we say, they agree with what we think, they agree with how we act, they agree with what we believe. We like that because in one word, it's comfortable. However, you can look back historically and you can see that God always uses persecution to spread the disciples, to spread the church. Now, we don't pray for persecution because we're not masochistic, uh, but Persecution has always proven to be the very thing that God uses to multiply the kingdom. It was this way in the beginning of the church, it's this way now. The more comfortable you get, the more easy life gets, the less we change, the less we scatter, the less we multiply. The hotter the heat in the kitchen, the better God's people cook for him. The more flavorful we are. This was true in the first church. It's true of the now church. God is trying to show us a pattern very early on that when the heat is on, get ready for God to use you. So I want you to think about your life right now. Is the heat on in your life? Are things hard? Are they difficult? You're in good company, my friend, because God is wanting to use you right where you're at to do his will and be his hands and feet. Now look at verse 2. God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. Now, um, some deaths seem like in life they just come and go, and others we mourn. And we mourn them because we're close relationally and we feel connected to the people that pass away. Stephen was this person. Now, they could uh, quote a cliché. And say that, you know, God had this was all part of God's plan and that God was going to work everything out uh, for the good to those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Those things are true, but cliches don't bring comfort to people that are mourning. Uh, I've heard people say that time heals. Well, there are some scars and there are some wounds and there is some grief that you carry with you your entire life. If you lean into that grief, God makes you more authentic. God makes you, uh, gives you more empathy. God gives you more compassion. He'll make you a more real person. If you gloss over the grief, you run away from it, and you cover it up with a meaningless Christian cliche, you, you will be less for it. If you have mourned uh, the death of someone close to you, it's for good reason. God wants to use that grief for you to connect uh, in a deeper, more meaningful way with him and in a deeper, more meaningful way with the people that are around you that have experienced the, that same amount of grief in their life. Now look at verse 3. It says, Then Paul mercilessly persecuted the church of God, going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. Now you're going to see here that persecution hit the church. Where was the church gathering? It was gathering in homes. In fact, you, there is zero doubt if you study church history, that the church spreads better in backyards, parks, beaches, coffee shops, than it does in institutionalized Christianity. The more Christianity gets mainstream acceptance, the more it gets institutionalized, the more buildings there are, the more people get comfortable, the cooler that it is to follow Jesus, the less effective Uh, the disciples are, the less effective the church becomes. The church does best with the fight club ethos, with the fight club ethic, with an underground spirit attitude and vibe to it. The cooler it gets, the more mainstream it gets, the less powerful it gets, the less effective it gets. It acts as a poison to the real purity of the church, which are believers who love and follow God and trust them with their whole life. Is that you? Are you loving and trusting and following God with your whole life? If you are, you're in good company. God is with you. <clears throat> now, God used all of this persecution to help spread the church uh, into Samaria. Now, you'll remember Jesus said in, in Acts, uh, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and now Samaria. All of this, and then to the utter ends of the earth, just like in our life. Jerusalem is where we start out. Judea is a little bit farther. Samaria is a one or two cultures away. The other ends of the earth, you're totally in over your head. All you have is the, your Bible, the Holy Spirit, and God's promises as you go forth to try to be his witnesses. So it says, although the believers were scattered by persecution, they preached the wonderful news of the word of God wherever they went. You see, preaching wherever you go is what causes the gospel to spread. Now, Philip traveled to a Samaritan city and he preached to them the wonderful news of the anointed one. The crowds were eager to receive Philip's message and were persuaded by the many miracles and wonders that he performed. Now, a lot of times we think that people don't wanna hear the gospel, they don't wanna hear about Jesus. Actually, the opposite is true. When you present Jesus, when you show him for who he really is, people line up to follow them because God wants people to be in his family more than we do it says the crowds were eager to receive the message uh, many demon-possessed people were set free you know many people today struggle with addiction oppression possession and Jesus wants to bring freedom to all of those people don't quit believing that God is going to do miracles to set people free <clears throat> and delivered as evil spirits, came out of them with loud screams and shrieks. And many who were lame and paralyzed were also healed. This resulted in an uncontainable joy filling the city. So what you'll see is that God sends persecution, then God miraculously moves, and then people are filled with joy as a testimony to the work of God in their heart and in their life. Now we pick it up in verse nine, we're gonna meet a guy named Simon. Uh, the says, Now there was a man who lived there who was steeped in sorcery. Many people are steeped in sorcery today. We live in a world today where people say, oh, all spirits are spiritual. All spirits are from God. Wrong. Not all spirits are spiritual. Well, they're spiritual, but some of them come from hell. They're called devils and demons. And this is a, this man was steeped in sorcery, meaning he relied upon devilish Influences and inspiration to, to live. For some time, he had astounded the people of Samaria with his magic, boasting is to be someone great. <laughs> I love how the writer of Acts puts sorcery in the same sentence with people who boast and are trying to be something great. Think about that. Sorcery and pretending to be someone great. God thinks both are disgusting. God wants us to be humble. God wants us to be kind. God wants us to be loving. If you're out there trying to be someone, uh, no, nah, God doesn't think that cool. It might be good for your business. It might be good for politics. It might be good for promotion. Not good for your spiritual life. Humility helps you grow in your spiritual life. Not, quote, trying to be someone so it says here everyone from the least to the greatest among them was dazzled by a sorcery saying this man is the greatest wizard of all the divine power of god walks among us for many years everyone was in awe of him because of his astonishing displays of the magic arts you see just because people do miracles doesn't mean they're from god it takes discernment to distinguish what's from god and what's from a person um But as Philip preached the wonderful news of God's kingdom realm in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, many believed his message and were baptized, both men and women. Verse 13, even Simon believed and was baptized. Wherever Philip went, Simon was right by his side, astounded by all the miracle signs and enormous displays of power that he had witnessed. You see, when God is working in your life, he'll give you the power to back it up. He'll give you the strength you need in the situations that you face. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the Samaritans had accepted God's message of life, they sent Peter and John to pray over them so they could receive the Holy Spirit. Now, this is good. We need to receive and be baptized and be filled continually with the Holy Spirit. For they had been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus and were yet to have the Holy Spirit fall upon them. As soon as Peter and John arrived, They laid their hands on the Samaritan believers one after another, and the Holy Spirit fell and filled each one of them. We need to pray right now. God, fall on me, and God, fill me. In fact, you may want to pray that right now. God, would you fall your Holy Spirit into my life, and would you fill me up? Would you fall on me, and would you fill me to overflowing with the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name? Now, when Simon saw that the Holy Spirit was released through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he approached them and offered them money. Big mistake. We can't buy God's favor. We can't buy God's power. We can't buy God's supernatural ability. God freely gives these gifts to the people that he wants to have them. He says, I want this power too. I'm willing to pay you for the anointing that you have so that I can lay my hands on everything to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, people think that you can toss money and get God's anointing. False. False. In fact, if you turn your back on money, you'll, you might get God's anointing. The opposite's true. You should relinquish all pursuit of worldly wealth For the kingdom. In fact, Jesus had told them, when you go somewhere, don't take anything with you. Take your tunic, you know, go with two people. Don't worry about where you're going to stay. And then God miraculously moved and caused the church to spread. You see, the more comfortable we get, the less effective we get. So Peter rebuked him and said, your money will go on with you to destruction. How could you even think that you could purchase God's supernatural gift with money? This is a word for us today. Just because you have money doesn't mean you have God's favor. Just because, you have God's, uh, just because you have worldly wealth doesn't mean you have the peace of God and the power of God flowing into your life. In fact, if you're free from the love of money, you'll have the peace and the power of God working in and through your life. Peter rebuked him and said, Your money will go with you to destruction. How could you even think that you could purchase God's supernatural gift with money? You will never have this gift or take part in this ministry. It's a good reminder to all of us. There literally are some things that money can't buy. Have people chosen money instead of God's peace? Absolutely. Have people chosen money and wealth instead of God's power working in their life? No question. My question to you is, what do you want? Worldly wealth or God's peace and his power. I recommend you, my friend, choose his peace and his power every single time. There are no U-Hauls behind a hearst. You don't get to take any of your worldly wealth with you into heaven. It all stays here. It stays behind. And make sure that it's not an idol in your life. He says, Repent this moment. For allowing such wickedness to fill you. Aren't you thankful that God always gives us a chance to repent and to quit doing things that are driving us away from him? Start doing the things that are driving us to him. You might say that right now. You might say, God, help me to repent. Help me to turn around and away from all of the things that are keeping me from you and start doing the things that are leading me to you. So he says, for I discern that jealous envy has poisoned you and binds you as a captive Sin. You see, jealousy and envy are not the fruits that God uses to grow you in your faith. If you have any jealousy in your heart right now, God will show you you can repent from it. If you have any envy in your life right now, God will show you that you should repent from it. Jealousy and envy are not to be in the heart of those who follow Jesus because it says here, it has poisoned you and binds you as a captive to sin. So jealousy and envy actually poison your relationship with God and they poison your relationship with other people. Now, lastly in verse 24, Simon Bay, Peter, please pray to God for me. Plead with him so that nothing you have just said over me may come to pass. Man, what a great way, place to stop today. Let's realign our lives with God. Let's say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to turn away from all jealousy, from all envy. I invite you into my life. I invite you into my heart. Help me to be filled with you. Help me to live for you. Help me to love you and help me to follow you today, this day. In Jesus' name, we give him praise. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in uh, for today's Bible on the Beach. Um, If this helps you grow... Please recommend it to somebody else. I want to spread this grassroots style word of mouth. And until next time, God bless you, and I hope you have an awesome day.